Yes, episode three of your favorite movie podcast, Not a Bomb. Uh, good evening or afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. For for us, it's evening, right? It we is. We are recording uh, a day late, um, so it's a Monday night. And uh, across the aisle from me is my my favorite movie buddy here, Brad. How are you doing tonight, Brad? Doing fantastic, buddy. I like the shirt. I like the polo shirt you got going on. Oh, yeah. You like that? That's, I, I do. I, I dressed up for this. I, I did not. <laughs> um, Congratulations, by the way. On? Your daughter. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. Uh, 18C, uh, Maryland State Champs from a tournament this weekend. So, yeah. Was, man, I'm telling you, it was weird playing a softball tournament or going to a softball tournament with In the middle the of a pandemic? On, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was... Everybody was obviously they they did a good job of keeping everybody apart, um, but it it was it was just weird. I mean everybody six feet apart. Um, nobody you know. Hey look, if anybody has gone to a softball game for teenage girls, you know how crazy it gets and how excited <laughs> everybody gets. And there there was just this very serious kind of there was there was cheering. Everybody you know was getting crazy about the plays, but. Uh, it was three days, Friday through Sunday, and uh, they went in top seed, undefeated, and it was cool. Stayed that way. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, it was cool also, also, more importantly, how is your Last of Us 2 play uh, coming along, gameplay coming along? Uh, I'm four hours in. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah? Um, okay. I, 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 that's one of the things I need to I need to spend more time on that thing because I know it's a long one. I've heard it's like 30 hours, so you got some time. I do, um, and it has a little bit of a gut punch right there in the beginning. But um, man, it's it's so good. Um, I, I you do feel like you're playing a film. I mean, you know that gets thrown around a yeah. little bit with some of these yeah. games. But man, Naughty Dog is so good. Yeah. I mean, so good. Have you have you played anything good recently? I have not really. I'm kind of just in this waiting period for like the new stuff to come out. Um, um, like the new consoles and the holiday season. So I'm just kind of waiting a little bit. My son is almost on the verge of like getting into video games. So um, I'm really excited to introduce him to a lot of the old stuff first. I thought, oh, that'll be fun. you know, like, should we go start with like the Nintendo kind of how I did and then move up? Um, I don't know. I haven't decided how that's going to go yet, but he's almost four. So I'm thinking right around his next birthday, we'll, we'll start trying that so but no i was yeah, I, I was curious about i was curious about your uh playthrough so it's good I, I don't know if charlie's listening i don't know where he picked up this whole he heard bad things about it everything i read about it has been 10 out of 10 and best game of the year um, yeah yeah but I, we'll see maybe maybe in hour 25 it just tanks i don't know something happens but more <laughs> importantly what are we here to talk about tonight um, so this is number three, which makes it your pick. Um, and I know you've been super excited for this. So today we are going to talk, um, about a fun little film called Attack the Block from 2011, directed by Joe Cornish. And what's um, the run, t- what's the run time on that movie? You know, I had that as a note. <laughs> do you, you want to get into that now? <laughs> Somebody so, said when we were talking Coneheads. Uh, do, do you want to paraphrase what you said at the last episode? I believe I said if you can't have a film fill up 90 minutes, then it's probably not a not great very film. Good. Not yeah. a good film. Is that what, uh, was that what you said? Yeah. So 90 minutes was sort of the 
if it hit 90 minutes and it went beyond that, you're like, yep, it's going to be a good film. <laughs> yeah, you right? know, that, because that arbitrary, like, 90-minute mark. You know, 90-minute mark <laughs> is crucial. Um, it's a crucial ingredient for a good film, I think, is how you... <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they what they say at, at film school is, like, make sure your film is 90 minutes yes. and everything else after that. Exactly. And <clears throat> um, just out of curiosity, what's the runtime on Stack the Block? It's 88 minutes. Is that is that in the same <laughs> wheelhouse as maybe Coneheads? I believe it's probably like to the second the same <laughs> runtime. But hey, you know, are you gonna publicly admit in front of the few listeners we have <laughs> that you were wrong? I'm wrong about the runtime critique. <laughs> okay, you're okay. wrong about Coneheads too, but that's okay. okay. Um, yeah, Attack the Block, Joe Cornish film, 2011. Um, this one was i think an early pick as soon as we got the concept for not a bomb this was immediately like yes. in the top three uh movies that we said hey this is this is one we definitely want to tackle right yeah and it's also selfishly a movie i haven't gone back to in a few years and wanted a good excuse to do um and then un- unbeknownst to us like we started doing this podcast and then talks of a sequel of this movie started happening and you know it, it's kind of s- come back into the forefront a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's got a cult following, but, and you know, there's two actors in this film that went on to do huge things. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I will be the first to admit, I know nothing about Dr. Who. So I, you know, when I saw this person, I, I had to look up and see what she's done. So <laughs> yeah, I'm ignorant when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. It's um, I, I'm like you actually, I don't think I've seen it in over six years. So I, I know it's about six or seven years. About when it came out on Blu-ray, um, I, I know I watched it a couple times. But um, yeah, this is an awesome pick because it's one of those films I remember liking. And there was a lot of hype before it. I know we're going to get into this in a second, but there was a lot of hype leading up to it. And it was one of those that at the time of living in southern Indiana, because I'm an East Coaster now, it was not going to be playing in, in the local um, theaters, so the only way to see it was, you know, DVD or Blu-ray. Wait, I believe I, I found that at peak in the United States, it was in 66 theaters Ooh, peak. Really? Yeah, which, huh. you know, take out New York, California, and there's probably 20 scattered about the, you know, United States. So, yeah, sadly. So why, this was your pick. Why this one? Again, I... I when we started with this concept, it was just one of these films that I was like, you know, I really liked that film when I saw it probably eight or nine years ago and wanted a reason to go back to it. And I am a huge Star Wars fan. So John Boyega is also kind of yes. in the limelight right now for his, you know, Black Lives um, movement um, involvement and so all this stuff kind of culminating into wanting to go back and see um, Joe Cornish's first film, because I also like um, The Kid Who Would Be King, which was one of my favorite films either in 2000, I think it was in 2019. Yep. No one saw it again. <laughs> I don't know what it is with Joe Cornish, but this guy makes great movies and no one sees them. Um, but... So then, you know, I, I kind of wanted to go back and, and see it, too. And I listened to the soundtrack way more than I kind of remember. Um, the soundtrack is amazing. So all that kind of was just like, hey, I want to get Troy's thoughts on this movie. 
So let's do it for number three. So that's, that's awesome. And yep. It, this is a this is a good pick because this is one that we both seen, and um, uh, I think it's we both kind of go into this episode compared to like the last one with Coneheads. We didn't know where that was going to land. We know where one person was going to land on it because it was my <laughs> recommendation. But um, we've talked about this one ad nauseum before, so it's good to kind of get it on a recording and share it. But yeah, let's go through the numbers. Um, tell us about what happened when it got released. Well, so it, it comes out in the summer blockbuster time frame um, in the end of July. Um, and in 2011, a film kind of... Similar comes out the month before. I guess we'll say Super 8 is the Hollywood version of this film-ish. You know, it's the Steven Spielberg version of what this would probably be. Um, way less urban. <laughs> more well, father more father issues, but... Yeah, um, the, I think this one had a, diff, a crazy release schedule because it started showing up in festivals, what, March? Yeah, in March. And then, yeah. you know, it, it's released in... UK you know, in May. UK in May. And then just kind of slowly trickling out. Um, I know it was kind of picking up hype as it as it went, but um, so roughly the budget, if you kind of go back when Pound was a little bit more valuable, so it was like somewhere between 12 and 13 million dollars uh, U.S. It grosses half of that, and 75% of that comes from the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is a homegrown film. Um, part of the issue with the movie in the United States is this is a heavily British, like would even say like a dialect. Like it's very slang oh, heavy. Yeah. You almost need subtitles. Like if you're not used to it, yeah. you almost need subtitles for yeah. it. Yeah. And um, they did that on purpose because all the kids are supposed to be very authentic. And the casting of the kids is like Joe Cornish was like, I don't want anyone to be famous. I want to like go to these, um, you know, these schools to like find these kids, something like 1500, like auditions for like, there's like 1500 kids for auditions. And, um, from what I was reading, um, and so I, I guess sadly it just never really catches on with the mainstream. Again, it comes out in July, 2011, you know, we have Captain America out. We have, um, the well, su- very Super la- 8 was June, right? June. June so, 2011. Yeah. Yep. And then early July is Captain America. Yep. Then you have Harry Potter, the last Harry Potter film. Um, so you're like already, A, you're releasing in no theaters, but you're also releasing in the summer where people just want to see these big tentpole movies. Um, so you're pretty much dead in the water. I think first week in the United States made $136,000. So, yeah, and it's weird because this is one where you would think – so now to put things in perspective, this is one that when you look at the U.S. distribution, clearly releasing it in that many theaters, it was seen as an independent film. Yeah. I'm sure it was sort of a strategic move to kind of go test the waters, see what the response is per screen average, you know, look at what kind of hype follows this. Um, and I'm sure if it just came out swinging strong – um, it would have got much more play, but this is one that I think they conscientiously said, looking at this film, looking at what it is, um, they test, they decided to test the waters with it. And we're going to get into this when we talk about the film, because I, I, I think I can totally understand from the mindset of somebody who is looking at the market at that time in 2011, 
looking at something knowing that Super 8 is sitting out there, right? J.J. Yeah. Abrams, you know, um, Spielberg-like, more or less. Yeah. Knowing that that's sitting out there. Sorry, I think you... I said Spielberg uh, directed that. You're right, it's Abrams, but it's, yeah, Abrams, it's Abrams trying to do Spielberg. It's, yeah, it's, Sorry. It's, it's a very copycat sort of yeah. emulated thing. <laughs> Um, but you can you can definitely tell that if you look at the release schedule, how this was doing, it was one of those that they were hoping from a critical response and um, just a lot of fever, right, that would be around this, um, that if it did well with the limited release and just knocked it out of the ballpark, they were going to go strong with this. But sadly, that was not the case. And, and we can talk about maybe some of the reasons specifically about the film that it didn't go over well. Um what else? Um, you said, now this was interesting, because Joe Cornish did one of your favorite films from last year, mm-hmm. The Kid Who Would Be King. Yes. This guy's directed two movies. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 2019 and 2011. And before that, I think his directing credits go back to some TV stuff. He was doing like documentaries for Little Britain. Yeah. Um, which is now... He's whatever. very, very British. Very British. So now all this stuff is a big controversial British. show because they're pulling it for some of the things that they did, you know, beforehand. Um, and he had a TV series. Hey, guess what? Hey, guess what, Troy? What? Blackface is never funny. <laughs> never funny. I think we all knew that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't, don't I don't know why everybody's catching up with that, but, you know, it's like, hey. It's never whole funny. Whole other episode, right? Yeah. Um, but they did do a show, the Adam and Joe show, 96 to 20, 2001. And he had some directing credits on that. Um, what else did he do? So he's a good writer, right? Yeah. So he did the script for Attack the Block. He did it for A Kid Who Would Be King. Um, was a writer on The Adventures of Tintin. So Spielberg, right? Um, Ant-Man, 2015. He has a writing credit for that. Yeah. With yeah. Edgar Wright. Um, again, a lot of TV series, primarily his Adam and Joe show. I thought this was interesting was considered to direct. Now, did you know this? Star Trek Beyond. Did you see that? I did. He was up for that. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. A Good Day to Die Hard. Kong, Skull Island. Um, and I guess, was Channing Tatum the one that was trying to get the Gambit movie off the ground? Was he the one that was uh, yes. producing Star Trek? Okay, so and still, and still is. It still is, and, and they had uh, tried to get Joe Cornish. So, I think it's interesting that here is a guy who did Attack the Block, and that was kind of his first major feature film in 2011. And the next thing, eight years later, um, sort of a kid's film, right? Mm-hmm. Kid who would be – I haven't seen that one. You love it. So that will probably – that's another one that bombs. So it may, yeah. We may be visiting that one here soon. <laughs> um, I find that fascinating. He, he, he makes such a strong film here and gets no work. What, yeah. What is what – is, what, what, what do you do? What is he doing? Is he is he punching up? I don't know plays? if it's what? his reluctance to like work with Hollywood and kind of be on the fringe. Um, like I said, he's very British. He works with British actors, um, British production companies. So he's gonna stay overseas and not kind of play ball with Hollywood. And then you know, it's very cult like. And if you're not gonna play ball, maybe they're not gonna let him in. Well, I mean, they had him up for all these other films. Yeah, but I think that was because I think that was more so he showed with Attack the Block that he was smart with a budget and could film a movie with a small budget. And I think a lot of times when you have someone who can make basically an independent movie for $13 million and it comes in at budget and they know, hey, we can't do this scene because it's going to cost too much. 
giving him a bigger budget is nicer for, you know, big execs because, because they know this isn't going to go over budget. We're not going to waste a bunch of money. Right. Um, I mean, that's the only thing I can really think of because, you know, the action in this movie is nice, but like, is it Kong Skull Island? Like, am I giving, I, I don't see that, but you know, I think maybe his Hunger Games movie would have been really good. I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, I'd, like I'd, I'd like to see his version of Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would we? Uh, it's funny you talk about the action. I I love the action scenes in this. I think they're really good for the budget. Yeah, yeah, I, and get and everything is in context of what they had to work with. Um, sure. And we'll get into it, but um, you know, I, I learned a lot after we going back and like looking at the creature effects and all that stuff. So. Oh um, yeah, and hey, for anybody who really loves this film, if you don't know the Blu-ray go buy the blu-ray because the the special features and behind the scenes on this especially the little documentary on the creature effects and um how they did it and the person that was working really the practical portion of it is just freaking fantastic well, i didn't know it was practical oh yeah it's a guy in a suit uh, and, and yeah until until i watched that like i thought oh you know it's just some cool effect that they did but yeah i didn't even think about oh no you know he, they kind of talked about rotoscoping and, you know, yeah. you remember the Hobbit, yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings animated stuff from the 70s. Yeah, that that's kind of style. So um, so this thing gets released. It, it kind of bombs. But critically, how did it do? So I guess a, pretty much across the board. So it's got a 90 percent of Rotten Tomatoes audience score 75. I went through some of the audience like uh, reviews and a lot of them were like one star. Like we don't like giving. You know, these and this these are other people's words, thugs, um, you know, we're, we're not going to like them because they like, you know, jump this woman and stuff like that. And, you know, in 2020, when you see thugs, it's like, oh, you don't like to see like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. So anyway, but, you know, a lot of so those one, you know, one star reviews kind of hurt this film a lot and on an audience score level. But critics love kind of the blending of all the different genres, sci-fi, horror, comedy. Um, that was one of the things I kind of forgot about is how great the, how the, the gore and stuff in this movie is. It's, Oh yeah. It's, it's really nice. It's, it earns its rating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause when I went into it, I forgot that it was like a hard R, like there's no way this is going to be a PG 13 movie. Like I always remember it as being R, but like, uh, maybe they could have like, family did up a little bit and made it pg-13 like nope not nope. when you're chopping some guy's head off no nope. yeah to a bunch of girl no nope, it's not that's our yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean and again you look back on some of these lists of like best of you'll find this on a lot of people's list of like films best sci-fi films best some people throw it in the horror genre the best horror films so i mean it, it's loved it's got a i wouldn't say huge cult following but it definitely has a cult following enough to where Maybe they make a sequel, especially now because John Boyega is so huge. And um, what's her first name? The lady that played Sam. Oh, Jody. Jody. Uh, you know, she's, Jody Whitaker. She played a doctor on Doctor Who. So the thirteenth Doctor. Okay. I, I, I only again, I only know that because I looked at yeah, after so. Tom Baker. I stopped watching Doctor Who. Just that's where my geek card ends on Doctor I, Who. So. I have no idea. You don't even know who so, Tom Baker is. Okay, uh-uh. that's fine. Cool. Um. Uh, so you bring up a couple of the people there in this film, and it's funny. I was going through the cast list, um, so just a little behind the scenes. 
A, if you hear some like uh, glass uh, with ice or something, it's because <laughs> we are enjoying cocktails as we talk. Because you know, you got to. You have to, right? <laughs> we have kids. It's gonna happen. But um, one of the things that we do is we we sort of divide and, and conquer on the homework. So I was tasked to go back and and look at Joe Cornish, look at the cast, look at the you know the people that are involved in the making of it. And usually, you know, compared to Coneheads. We had this like what like 80 people that were you know famous in the 90s, famous now, et cetera. They starred in that film, and now you get down to really only three, three, yeah. three recognizable people that are in this film, and that's John Boyega, um, Finn from Star Wars, Jodie Whittaker, um, which of course Brad and I are are not. Is it Ho- Hoovians? Hoovian? I have no idea. Okay, I, I think that's it. Don't don't hate me, internet, for getting it wrong, but. <laughs> Um, it, you know, it, her claim to fame now from a sci-fi cult status is, is playing, um, is it the first female doctor? Yeah. I'm sure okay. the internet loved that too. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, the one veteran that Joe brings on, and I'm sure it's his, you know, connection to everybody within the filmmaking community for, you know, um, that side of the pond. Uh, is Nick Frost. So Nick Frost has a supporting role in here. At this point, Nick Frost is, I wouldn't say a household name, but he's received a lot of recognition from two specific films, both direct, directed by Edgar Wright, which would have been Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, which would have came out before this. Which were Hit. two perfect films. I mean, those yes, movies are perfect. fantastic. And they, were, they, were, they were commercially um, good films. I wouldn't say they're through the stratosphere, but they they all did from a box office standpoint very well. And then critically, like you said, I, yeah. I think everybody universally says, you know, those are those are two amazing films. So Nick Frost comes into this and has a fantastic supporting role. But everybody else, it's yeah, unknowns and and they really, I mean, if you go and look at their filmography, they're doing stuff, but nothing, at least from I would say an American perspective, uh, nothing of notoriety. Yeah, and I was actually. I thought that, and maybe this is just hindsight, I thought that John Boyega kind of popped a little bit more in my memory, but he really, I mean, he's good in this movie, but I wouldn't have said, oh, that guy's going to be in Star Wars in, you know, seven years. Like, it, it really didn't really cross my mind when I saw it this time. Like, he's good, and all the kid actors are good, but I, I don't know. It wasn't like crazy good i mean it wasn't something where i was like oh he's gonna be huge he's just it's super stoic he's got that stoic character down in this film but but would you think oh he's gonna be in all these other movies in 10 years um i wasn't like completely i'm not saying it's bad it was just it was i was surprised this time of just how his screen presence wasn't as much as i thought it was in hindsight so should we get into the film? Because I sure, feel like we're dancing around some stuff. Let's, let's, let's just get into the film. Okay, so let's talk about the casting. So it's interesting. John Boyega, Jody, Jody Ricker. Let's talk about those two. Um, out of everybody in this film, in, in hindsight, you look at it and you go, well, there's two big stars that came out of this cast. And let's let's first say, as an ensemble cast, I think from a, it, it's just pitch perfect. I think everybody that they brought on for the respective characters, even down to the little kids, what was it, props and mayhem? Mayhem, yep, 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 are uh, are fantastic. Um, the girl I, characters, the girl characters are awesome. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, everybody 
brings this uniqueness to it. Even the subvillain, uh, the hi hats. I'm sorry. Hi hats. Hi hats. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is fantastic. But what I think is interesting is you watch this, and I can't think of anybody. And again, opinion, right? So we could be totally wrong on this, and I don't know how you feel. But I look at this from an ensemble piece, and I can't say that I look at anything here and go, that is a breakout performance. Like, I think it works fantastic in the context of this film, but I cannot say that, oh, that person, John Boyega, is just a rising star. No, I, I, I 100% agree. I, th- I think, it, again, it's none of these performances are bad, but I think it's... I think purposely they're getting these kids who can be these characters because that's maybe who they are kind of inherently. Um, I mean, maybe not as like gangstery as they're playing it up, but they're, you know, maybe taking their personality and turning it up to 11. Um, so maybe they're not acting as much as, as I initially thought, but yeah, no one is like breathtaking. Like I didn't like, so let's compare it to super eight. You look at someone like Elle Fanning is in that movie Mm -hmm. and you see that and you're like, Oh my gosh, like she gives a great performance and you're like, Oh, She's going to be doing other stuff now. She stands out amongst everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. In this one, there isn't anyone. Actually, I thought the stoner guy. Alex Esmiel. Yes. Um, Pest. Yes. I yeah. thought he was actually the best. That was the note I wrote down. I, I, I put down, why isn't Alex, I think it's Esmail, E-S-M-A-I-L. Yeah. Esmail, we'll say it, right? And Alex, if you're listening, I think he was the correct most, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was the most fun character. He, I, I think he nailed his parts. Um, every scene he's in, I think he just has this charisma you gravitate to, and everybody plays off him so well. And that character is so great, right? Yep, yep. Um, and he, he, he's like, I don't understand why he isn't as big as Jody or John. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like, yeah, I, 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 I loved his character. I think he's super fun. He's the funniest character in the movie by mm-hmm. far. Um. Yeah, and 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 you, again, like you said, every scene he's in, like you kind of gravitate towards him more than anyone else. Um, and, and again, I'm I'm baffled, like you, like why? Why yeah. is he not working more? I well, he's working. I just I kind of, you know, I'm hoping it's one of those that at some point he's gonna get some just freakish opportunity to to do a film with some big name director and then all of a sudden hits the A-list, right? Yeah. Because I, I would say if he could maintain, and I have not, and I I looked at his filmography, everything else he's been in, I can't say I've seen anything else that he starred in. Um, but man, he's, he's just one that out of the gate, if I were to go back and look at this film from a 2011 perspective, if you had asked me, oh, who's going to be the breakout out of that, I, I would have picked that guy. Yeah, I mean... I'm looking at his stuff. It's really not a whole lot. I mean, he's 26, so I mean, it's not like his career's over. Like he can definitely, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, 26 and he's just a young <laughs> lad. So no, he's fantastic. But I mean, you you cannot deny that the one thing this film gets right that um, I I really enjoy ensemble films. Like there's there's something great about putting a, a big star. Um, you know, even take something like Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon is about Mel Gibson, Danny Glover. Th- those are, you know, two people that play off each other. It's fantastic. But you give me a great ensemble cast, you know, five, six, seven characters um, who play off of each other and bring comedic elements or stoic elements or 
you know, just all this. So you want to watch o- you want to watch Ocean's Eleven, not Die Hard. Um, yeah, but Die Hard, I would even say, has a pretty good ensemble piece. Yeah. Okay. But, but that, that that's a good that's a good example because I think one of the things. Um, now, full disclosure, Die Hard's a top five movie of all time for me, <laughs> okay? I'm, I'm standing here, or not, I'm sitting here looking at a, an original Die Hard poster in my theater, so um, it, it, I love that film. But one of the things I love about it is if you look at, like, the five or six principal players, they all just bring it. And it's a great ensemble piece, um, and they all play off each other very well. Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, by themselves, are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, that's why I like The Wild Bunch. I mean, it's another, you know, probably top ten film for me. But I, I think, give me an ensemble film any day, and I'll take that over, you know, just a traditional single hero going out there and put a big-name star, but then everybody else is an unknown. I guess uh, an element to that is, like, competitiveness between actors. So if you're in a movie with Brad Pitt, and you're Matt Damon, and you're George Clooney, and you're... Don Cheadle, you're all kind of trying to best that person in your scene, I guess. So you're always trying to one up the person that you're with. And I guess that creates that competitiveness kind of fuels a lot of talent, brings out more talent, I guess, and stuff. I mean, I'm just trying to think like why maybe you trust the other person to, Yeah. I I mean, you, you can play off the right person. You can experiment a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think at least from my viewing perspective, you see these productions that come out and you can definitely see who the A-lister is versus the B-C, everything else. And when all things not being equal, I think you get a different feel within the film, right? The concentration of the focus is on the person earning the biggest paycheck. You put, like, to your example, you put a Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, George Clinton, all of them together. If there's not much ego going on and they can all kind of let it go, I think you get a better performance all around and they'll play off each other, their experiment. And this is a great example of you got a really good director. I wouldn't even call him a competent director. He's a really good director. He's talented. And he takes that ensemble cast and really makes the script shine as a result of their performances. He brings it out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the cast is something that you just kind of levitate to and you want to be with these kids. They're not great. I mean, they're, trying to survive so they're they're inherently different than what i was doing when i was young but i wanted to be with them the whole time and i wanted to kind of hang with them throughout this whole movie yeah yeah um i think they're so good they overshadow nick frost i think that might be on purpose i think he's just supposed to be kind of a bit character anyway and I, but I, he's the well, only person on. that has Nick, like Nick Frost shows up in a leather track sh- track suit, right? <laughs> yeah, that was leather, right? It's it looks like it was definitely yeah some weird track suit. Yeah, so he shows up in that weird <laughs> track suit. I I think he's supposed to bring the comedic element. And, and mind you, I mean this is the guy, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. He's coming in. I think he's supposed to be one of those parts that you know he's supposed to be uh, when he's on screen. He's he's bringing the laughs, but I think his performance gets overshadowed by how good. Everybody else is around him. Yeah. And if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff, the kids all were having such a good time and Joe was kind of letting them do their thing that it's, it's nice to see just kind of their natural ability coming out. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's talk about what this movie is about. Cause that plays into a lot of, 
kind of the and, and we've done this <laughs> twice two this is our third time now kind of these social commentaries within these films that we pick so, let me ask you about this i thought the same thing i'm watching this i'm like what are we doing here i know i would have thought if somebody had told me look hey we're gonna talk children of men coneheads attack the block i'd been like oh there's one really good political social film in those three yeah i did not imagine out of the gate and my question to you is this is that because of the times we live in that we are no more heightened about these statements that are showing up in these films uh, i mean I, I look at it this way attack the block is saying some stuff in that film and back in 2011 2012 I didn't pick up on it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the environment that we're in now highlights a lot of these ideas in these movies that I really didn't even think about, unfortunately. Um, and now going back and looking at them in 2020, it's kind of hard to ignore. And um, that's one of the great things about doing this is going back and kind of discovering that these films are way deeper even for an 88-minute film, they're, they're way <laughs> I'm deeper. Glad you said it. <laughs> they're way deeper than I thought. You know, I just thought this was a horror comedy about some aliens that come. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I thought it was the British Super 8, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you know, there's that Ghostbusters Afterlife coming out now, and this is like kind of proto that movie because you know these are kind of or let's say it's the urban monster squad yeah no that's true it's just it's weird because man if we if we keep doing this it's going to be you know not a bomb podcast or not a bomb but some political yeah <laughs> we got to like yeah but no it just it struck me as odd so okay you you were going i didn't mean to interrupt you Go no ahead. no so i guess our kind of first interaction with our with our main characters is they're trying to jump sam for you know money her cell phone her so she has a wedding band or an engagement ring, right? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't she know says the she has a boyfriend, but I don't know. Yeah. There's, you know, it's never really said too much, which is totally fine. Um, and then something happens, and aliens show up, and um, essentially the whole movie kind of is they kill this one alien. Turns out it's a female, and the rest of the um, Aliens, which are like these gorilla-like monsters, and I'm, I'm sure. I mean, the the style in which these monsters are made is amazing. And like we were saying before, I thought it was all CGI. And then when I, I went back and watched the too. creature stuff, <laughs> when I went back and watched the creature stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a guy in a suit. Yeah. And you know, they, they did some post-production work on it, highlighting the teeth and you know, just kind of enhancing stuff, doing a really. They said they like contrasted the hell out of this movie so like the blacks are really really black and so the monster just kind of like is hidden um and it's and, and i mean teeth, that monster is like the blackest black i've yeah, ever seen and, and the teeth are practical um glow in the dark or light up teeth because yeah. if, if you've seen any if you haven't seen this film <clears throat> sorry if we spoiled a little bit of it but um and we warned you like i don't know how yeah. many episodes yeah. ago so um yeah, nine years. <laughs> yeah, uh, you 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 look at when they open their mouth. That is like one of the coolest effects ever. Um, but I want to go back to something you said. So, <clears throat> first introduction of these characters, right out of the gate, they mug a girl, right? 
Um, and then the first thing that pops up, an alien, you don't know it's hostile. You don't know what it is. And they chase it down into a shed, and all of them just jump it and kill it. Yep. Then Which, they put it on a stick, and they're <laughs> parading around. around. Yeah. yeah, they're parading around the fact that they killed this thing. That nobody knows what it is. Um, there is an intentional choice right out of the gate for you as a viewer not to connect with these characters. Yeah, and whatsoever, and actually and, not like them. Yeah, and it's again when you go back and it's like, oh, they literally push her down on the ground, and you're like, you know, there's pull a what, knife on her. Yeah, well, there's like five or six kids. Again, they're kids. They're 15. Um, against this woman, it's a little uncomfortable because you're like, oh gosh, like. I, I remember liking all these characters, and now I, I'm, the first scene is them jumping this woman. I'm like, oh, no. Well, um, you see a trailer, and the, the way the trailer is, like, aliens evade the kids and, you know, this, this what she looks like a school teacher, right, from the trailer. Yeah. Bound to get, you know, get together in this apartment complex and fend, on, fend off aliens. That's how the trailer sells it. Yeah. But then you get into the first sequence of this film, and all of a sudden you have... Um, Joe, Joe Cornish comes out and says, hey, you're not going to like these folks. Like, the two people that are going to end up having to survive are two, you know, they have an antagonist relationship right out of the gate. And you feel sorry, you know, for uh, Sam. Uh, you just do not like these kids. But these kids are the ones you follow around at the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. And... Sadly, I kind of forgot about the mugging really quick after the action kind of starts because one of the things with this movie is it just kind of goes. Um, See, I I disagree. I think I think one of the best things about this film is the fact. Well, that, she constantly reminds them, but yes. me as a viewer, like it, I kind of push it to the side as the movie goes, and then she constantly brings it up. Is that like, oh, I'm still pissed at you because you jumped me, but. She doesn't let him off the hook at all yeah. up until the very end. But I guess I personally did just because the movie just kept going. And I was, I guess, more forgiving than Sam was. Oh, I I, I don't know if I... What I found interesting is I got involved in the action and stuff like that as things were happening. Um, so I'll give you a good example. The, uh, the first chase sequence. So you got bikes, moped, foot, camera work, the editing. Look, if... If I were a filmmaker and I wanted to learn about how to take a complicated action sequence that's done in different settings with, you know, different modes of transportation and learn how to film it, I'd look at that sequence and try to mimic that because I thought it was just fantastic, right? Yeah, yeah. But you you go through this this editing and pacing, you forget about it. But when the film slows down, I can't say I'm totally on board with these kids <clears throat> and that mugging leaves you very uncomfortable um, with still following him, trying to get behind him. And yeah, you're, how do I say this? You don't know what's going on with the whole female and the male thing. That becomes a reveal towards the end. Yeah. So you're left with following these kids who just mugged this girl, who just beat the crap out of an alien. You assume just because of all the alien movies, it is, you know, trying to take over the world, right? But you don't know. They kill it. They're parading around on a stick. And you get to this chase sequence. So when the action settles and you get to a little bit more quiet moments in the comedy and stuff, the comedy is there, but I still think it stings a little bit because as a viewer, you're not a hundred percent in these guys corner at all. And, and I think it's because even from character choices and everything else, 
they don't break character. They they don't, as soon as the aliens hit, they don't kind of go, oh, all of a sudden we're the good guys. They still retain those characteristics um, because they're all excited as soon as, you know, um, Moses gets the opportunity to sell drugs. Yeah. They're like, oh, you got you got bumped up, right? Yeah, you make got made. For yourself. You got made. Yeah. So as a viewer, you know, I, I think this is um, just a bold move. Joe Cornish, as a writer and director, puts you into, you're going to follow these folks, and yeah, they're being attacked by aliens or whatever, but there's these choices that come up, and then you have Jodie Whittaker's character, Sam, constantly remind him, even when he tries to apologize at one point, she's, he, they're like, he's trying to apologize, she's not taking it. Yeah. She throws it back in his face. Well, and even that scene with, when they kind of get up to the other girl's apartments, and then they're like, she brings up it again about how she was mugged by them, and the girl's like, why are you always doing stuff like that? Why are you always getting in trouble? And yeah. you, know, you can tell that Moses and his crew are always up to no good. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I, I mean, obviously that's on purpose. Like that part is. of the and film I, is I on purpose. I love the response too, where they're like, well, if we'd known you lived here, we wouldn't have yeah. loved you. And you're like, oh, yeah. that makes it better. <laughs> I'm like the fact that she keeps throwing it back in their face and saying, no, I'm not letting you off the hook. I, again, that's bold. That's not Hollywood writing. I think you made the comment earlier. Maybe the reason why he hasn't taken these Hollywood projects is because him as an artist wouldn't tolerate that kind of script. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love that aspect of the film. I love the fact that she is not letting him off the hook. They, you know, the great thing about this ensemble piece um, and from a script writing perspective is the characters do go through a story arc and you see transformation at the end of the film. And I'll say this, the last 15 minutes, I'm rooting for everybody. You know, the oh. first, what was it, 15 minus 88? So <laughs> 73. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm probably in Sam's camp more than anything. And I'm not 100%, you know, behind these kids. But you get to the last 15 minutes. And um, there's a couple of, there's, there's a great monologue Moses does. I think it's jaded. But when he's talking about, hey, they sent drugs, then they sent guns, and now they send the monsters to get us. Yeah. That's when it slaps you in the face when you're like, oh. Yeah. You start to understand why these characters are making the choices that they're making, why they did what they did to Sam. Not saying it's right or wrong, but you get some perspective from it. And then they start really introducing this concept because you talked about what's the film about. The film is about actions have consequences. Exactly. So the morality part of it is they have no idea why the aliens are here. Aliens could have been here peacefully. Absolutely, yeah. They kill what turns out to be a female, and um, it releases a bunch of pheromones and is the reason why these monsters are constantly after this group is because Moses has all that stuff all over him. So they are attracted to him. So his his actions have consequences. If he never does that... We don't know for sure, but it's safe to say that there is no attack. Um, maybe the monsters never show up and never do anything, and they're, you know, just shooting fireworks. Um, <laughs> again, it's it's kind of crazy to think about that they kind of reveal this at the end. That's like, Moses, this is your fault. And yeah. you brought this to the block. Oh yes, my God, that's you're such trying, a good scene. You're that, trying to protect you this, turn, but you brought this to the block. 
Yeah, even even you know the whole idea of the mugging at the beginning of the film, and why she isn't you know she is saying it 100% up until probably the last part she is not behind him as a simple fact of anything outside of her survival is dependent because he's the toughest right yeah um, that she sees what he what he can do and whatever the kids can do but by choice she doesn't want to be there and and his actions have a consequence to that right but then there's a the powerful scene where Sam goes to his apartment yes and finds out that he lives with his uncle his uncle's never there, and he basically lives sleeps on a little bed with a you know sleeping bag, and that's it. And um, she asks him how old he is, and he says fifteen. That and she's blew like, me away, dude. Yeah, I totally and, forgot that because you're watching these kids and you're thinking you know seniors, college kids, whatever yeah. it is, they they have a maturity, but when she finds out Moses is fifteen, I'm like. What I'm sorry. I actually had to kind of pause it for a second. Go, fifteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's. I mean, Chubbwick is a big dude. Like, yeah. More. But it, so I mean, there's this. So again, it's this push and pull, right? So you're not supposed to like these characters, but again, we've kind of social economically, we've pushed these people off to the side because they're poor, yep. and you know. We made them survive by, you know, selling drugs and doing crime and just perpetuating all these stereotypes and being constantly afraid of the police. Um, again, to me, it's kind of reminiscent of right now. It's like, what happens when you put too much water in a balloon? At some point in time, it pops. And, you know, these kids have just kind of gotten to the point where they'll do anything to survive. Um, and if that's to jump a woman then that's what they're going to do obviously you're not supposed to agree with that but that's kind of the cards they're dealt and they're playing that hand yeah you you, you mentioned they don't want to go to the police and i gotta say as as a as a film viewer right so i would have never have thought that to be outside of anything that just some kind of plot device or contrivance until you really take a step back and look at what is going on today. And like I said, to look at a film in 2011 and go, hey, look, we're not going to go to the police because they're automatically going to assume that because of our color, um, we did X, Y, and Z. That line more so resonates now. Uh, just it, it's heavy, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, it, I, I, I agree with you. It's fun to go back and look at these films. I don't want to say fun. Fun, but, fun. Yeah, I was going to say fun. Might I, not I will be. say this, this movie. It's enlightening. Um, it is. Yes, that's the word. It's enlightening. I had a bit of an epiphany where I'm just sitting there kind of going, wow, I would, I used to take a line like that for granted. And now with everything that's going on, you'd look at that and go, man, I totally understand. And um, it's kind of I, crappy that it took nine years to kind of realize that. And that's another oh, God, thing that yeah. I've, I've realized it's, uh, kind of ignoring all the signs that, you know, all this stuff was out there. And again, we've always known, but here we are looking back at a movie nine years ago and we're saying, oh, we missed it again. Like, it's oh, right here. Yeah. They're saying it right here. Why are we not listening? Why are we yeah, just... so many good films and everything else that are just kind of raising their hand, et cetera, and, and from a pop culture standpoint. And again, the way this thing was advertised and even the appreciation of this film, I think you kind of pegged it best at the beginning in terms of its cult following for its 
sci-fi and, and horror aspects, etc. Um, I'm, I, I really, I really feel if people go and revisit this thing, it, it gets almost that children of men mentality where you go, wow, here's Joe Cornish. Here's a talented cast. Here's a great script that's taking this genre and highlighting some of the issues that we're, you know, finally trying to fix now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it kind of weighed heavy on me a little bit. I was excited to talk to you about this because I was like, man, again, I'm not trying to play like I'm a woke white guy now, but like being able to see stuff a little bit clearer now because we're, we're actually paying attention to some stuff. And, and, and going back here, it's like, again, we miss all these signs. In, in it is, Well, but it's different. I mean, it, it, you and I can't sit and talk about things in the same limelight and then say we had the same experience and everything else. And we can walk into a film that has um, a bit of a social message and appreciate it for what it is. But I think what I'm starting to understand, especially at this stage, is how many films that were genre films. I mean, you can take something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and go from a political aspect. aspect. Yes, in context from the history books, McCarthyanism, totally get it. But you look at this film and you kind of go, it, it sells itself as a popcorn film, but it comes off with such a powerful message and again that character transformation of Moses and even the transformation this is why I think the script is so good the transformation of a viewer who if you're looking at this for the first 73 you know minutes go I understand what's going on I'm not totally sold on you but I know it's like a survival film but you get in the la- that last part in those scenes you're talking about when you're saying okay now she sees his apartment now he gives this monologue about his view of the world and um, the whole actions have consequences that everybody's pounding down on him. You start to understand it's like, oh, I'm in this guy's corner. I, yeah. I'm in it. And I feel like that's like what, what 2020 is kind of about. Yeah. And then he does what he thinks is right. And it's like, okay, this is all my fault. Now I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Whatever it takes, I'm going to fix it. And even then, so he becomes, he starts out as a villain, comes a hero Essentially gets arrested at the very end. Villainized at the end. It's like, again, it's another slap in the face of yeah. like, this is what society does, right? Yep, yep. He's finally trying to do the right thing and is arrested. Yeah, and all of the things that they're worried about on how they're going to treat him and everything else, boom. And how they end that film is so powerful when they're both handcuffed and they're sitting in the back of that police van and Pest looks at him and just like, that's for you, yeah. right? Yeah. All of them chanting and everything else. I mean, damn, that's just, that's powerful. It's powerful for today, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to talk about, so we talked about Joe Cornish kind of knowing what he had and what he didn't have money wise. I know we talked about this, the script, like at the 11th hour was like changed a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but there was a lot of scenes, um, that had to be taken out because a, they only had roughly $13 million. Right. And a big action scene got removed. Right? Yeah, and we were talking about, man, that would have been really cool. So the action scene is basically they, instead of, I guess, taking an elevator up to his apartment, they scale the um, apartment complex, and some of the monsters are, like, kind of chasing them up. So it's a yeah. fight kind of climbing up. You know, we've seen it a bunch. It's an Indiana Jones. I'm climbing the ladder, and guys are coming up behind me. 
sort but of it's deal. going from balcony to air conditioners yeah. on the windows, fighting yeah. off the monsters, pulling her up, and <clears throat> and you know, I think that would have been cool to see. I think um, when I was watching the stuff, it, you know, Joe Cornish was like, uh, you know, it kind of turned out better that she kind of goes and sees his. Um, the revelation of his apartment comes later on with that. So I kind of like the Bruce factor of that, you know, the shark, not showing yeah. the shark till the very end um, or later on. Um, I kind of like that, but I, I, it just kind of goes to show you that Joe Cornish like knows what he's doing. I just don't understand why <laughs> he doesn't seem to be working very much. And maybe that's a choice. Maybe he, you know, I, I don't know yeah, if you're a director. What, is, what you're... is he doing in these? Because uh, I'm I, again, I, all we've got is the freaking internet. We don't have Joe Cornish here. Kind yeah. of going, hey, yeah. dude, what'd you do last week um, when you weren't working on, you know, the, the freaking Adventures of Ten Ten Two? I don't know. Yeah. Um. No, I agree. It, you you said something. So we were talking about that sequence at the cutoff for the action sequence. Um. What did you think about the action in the film? You you pegged it as the horror the comedy element, the science fiction, et cetera. But I noticed even in your description, you didn't really highlight the action scene. No. And, and, and that was because I initially kind of forgot about the action in this movie, but then you kind of go back like that hallway scene with the smoke. Oh my where gosh. They shoot, like yes. there's, there's like four or five sequence in this, in this movie that is like just breathtaking. Um, that being one of them where they shoot these fireworks pest is like got tons of fireworks. So again, <laughs> Guy Fox Knight, did you know that that's like what this was? Like this takes place on Guy Fox Knight. Uh, is that the Vendetta? Um, yeah, the Vendetta. So I guess oh, yeah. that's why he has all those fireworks. Is basically they in. Oh, in, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, they shoot. So that's why he has all these fireworks, um, and that's why they're out. Um, but anyway, he's like shooting fireworks down this hallway. It's filled with smoke. Um, and uh, the slow motion of the two bottle rock are they bottle rockets yeah. like coming down? Look, if anybody wants to know how to shoot slow motion sequences, <laughs> so even the big chase sequence at the end, the climax, is mostly slow motion of him running through the um, living room to go through the hallway to get into his room to go out the window because it's you know the yeah. big explode. That whole thing is flipping amazing. <clears throat> all right, it is slow motion. It is art in motion. It is fantastic. Yeah. And it's thrilling. Yeah. Like most of the time with slow motion. You think of, you think of 300. Tight. You think of it just kind of like this gimmick a little bit. Yeah. 300 even. It's like, oh, it's cool to look like, you know, to look at. And you see action sequences. Um, but very few directors can use slow motion in a visceral way that adds the tension. Right? Yeah. And Joe Cornish nails it in this film. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I guess I should have brought up the action at the very beginning because this is definitely an, yeah, you an action. Yeah, you totally glossed over that. I'm sorry. Dude. It's my fault. And that, that was one of the notes, like the, the action sequences in this, like, um, and again, I'm, I'm so amazed when you look at that first chase sequence between all these guys take these separate, separate paths and, uh, you know, one guy's on foot and he's jumping, jumping. from one bridge to the yeah, other yeah. and the moped wipes out and all this other stuff. And I'll tell you what, um, the reason why I thought, and I don't know how, how you felt, but those monsters, the reason why I thought for CGI perspective was just how the monsters move. Like they're so quick, et cetera. Yeah. But you watch that behind the scenes and that guy in the suit with, I don't know, they look like crutches. crutches. Yeah. They're, for, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that guy was like doing 60 miles per hour in that suit. I don't know. Yeah, he was, was just, he's just running. It's it. scary. It was, <laughs> yeah. And they said like that brought a lot of real tension to the film because 
it's not a CGI monster running behind you. It's some guy in a suit that's running behind you and you can really yeah. see it and it looks scary when it's running. So like a lot of the times they said, we're not really acting like it was terrifying. <laughs> it would be ter- yeah. cause it's a practical effect. You got these glow, like glowing teeth or whatever. <clears throat> I mean, can we talk about the monsters? My favorite sequence of that freaking monsters is when um, it's coming. It, I can't remember you see outside the window. Oh, it's with hi-hats. It's the girl's apartment. Yes. No, no, no. It's before that. It's oh. the girls oh, talking. Yeah. And it's when the, uh, what's his name, gets his head bit off. Oh, yeah. With the hel- He's wearing yeah. the helmet. Yeah. You see like two of them, right? There's two and they pop up in the window outside. And like you said, it's black as black. But all of a sudden you see these teeth open. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The... I think that's like the lasting image is obviously the monsters in this movie, just how perfect they were created a for a reason because they didn't have a whole lot of money. So you can hide a lot if you just make them super black with like, let's have something neon green to kind of give them some sort of uniqueness and they nailed it. Um, and, um, yeah. And did it practically. I still can't imagine. I still can't believe they did it practically. Um, I mean, that, that, that's like the greatest thing about creature design is you always want something that's memorable, unique. You know, Predator, the the mandibles or whatever. Yeah. Is it? Did I say that right? Yeah, it's so, mandibles. Mandible. Okay. So you, you get that, and you remember that from an i you know from an iconic look for the Predator, and you get these creatures with those teeth, and it's like, it's so it's so simple, it's so basic, but oh my gosh, it's so effective. Yeah, it lasts. It works so well yeah. from a, a practical perspective. What else you got, Troy? Uh, you talked about the music. What? So when you said you listened to the soundtrack, like the music itself. So we're talking the the instrumental yes. music. I found was fantastic, and that was Stephen Price and Basement Jacks. Yes, Stephen Price. This is kind of his coming out party to say. I mean, so yeah, the the soundtrack is electronica stuff like that, but it is great. And it is a urban sci-fi vibe, man. Yes. I mean, it nails it. Yes. Um, and you'll hear a lot of mixtapes. So like hip hop artists make a lot of mixtapes based on mm-hmm. a lot of these beats and stuff. So it's, it's kind of gone into like, Oh no, this, this soundtrack is on point for sure. Oh, it's, it's so unique. It adds so much flavor yeah. to every scene. I, I kind of, now this is a different movie and it's a quieter movie and all that stuff. But like a film like drive, you think about that movie is a movie and it also has like this stellar music. This is kind of the same thing where the music just makes everything better. Um, so you take a movie that I think is with drive is pretty spot on. And then you throw in that soundtrack and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm a hundred percent sold kind of the same thing here. Like movie's great, but now it's, you know, ratcheted up. Um, cause we're always going at this phonetic pace, like this movie. Yeah. Now there are scenes where they sit down for a few minutes, but it's never too long because the chase is always happening. So we're just always moving. We're moving, we're moving. And you need music that is always kind of keeping you going. And yeah, it, it definitely succeeds. An 88 minute phonetic pace. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm not going to let you look around me. <laughs> well, okay. So let's get to the big question. Um, because we have just poured all of our love out there for this film. There's there's no denying yeah. it, right? Uh, why was this not a huge hit? Because it's way too British. <laughs> it is the most... <laughs> I mean, we said it, it. You put this in front of a English audience, 
and say, here's these kids. They're unapologetically going to speak in British slang the whole time. Um, was it was it the slang? Because you say it's way too British, but it's the if you look at at the time of movies coming out. So Shaun of the Dead comes out, then Hot Fuzz. I mean, there's no accident Nick Frost is is in here. I think it's the slang. I, I think it's trying to hit that same vein of kind of look. Hey, we've got these hits. They're genre hits coming out of England. Um, Edgar Wright <laughs> is putting this stuff out. Um, so you think that it it's that too Englishness. So does that mean Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz were were not too English? Or I mean, they're yeah, they're a little bit more Americanized. Again, you know, we've watched James Bond for 50 years, so we're not opposed to, you know, Michael Caine's been a thing for a long time. So it's not just it's English, but it's like these kids are unapologetically going to speak this slang. It's almost like a different dialect, um, and it's heavy. And again, it's not like this film is like PG-13. It's R, and there's gore and you're going to get a bunch of i don't, I don't know it, there's just so many things going against this movie because a was limited but also it's so british like the british like it's just <laughs> the dialect that it is it's just it's difficult and i've you know always kind of now when we're doing this turn subtitles on just instinctively just so i can kind of you know hear better and see what they're um and I didn't you know what some of these words were. I was like, what are they even saying? So, <laughs> well, I, I found this quote. So I don't, I don't, do you know what Slant Magazine is? Yeah. Because we were looking through reviews and stuff. All right. To me, I think this kind of nails it. <clears throat> so Slant Magazine said about it, it's more bloody kids than Super 8. It's more assault on Precinct 13 than Jumanji. And in the end, more be kind rewind than Adventures in Babysitting. I, I think, so I agree with you, it is more British than, I think, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. But I think the biggest thing is, this is the punk rock version of the of a British comedy horror action hybrid film. I think um, Edgar Wright was creating Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, uh, but still taking a commercial slant. Super 8 is total commercial. This yeah. thing makes some bold choices just like what we talked about taking an ensemble cast that you're going to follow for two-thirds of the film and probably not like and you're going to have a message in there um and you know a thematic action has consequences etc and i would say that the action in this you know rivals hot fuzz especially the last part of hot fuzz i, I think it's fantastic but i think um super eight is this group of kids you know discover an alien save their town this is a group of inner city kids discovering an alien to save the South London apartment complex. That alone meant it was not going to have any commercial success in, in that time period. Yeah. It's again, the mass appeal of this movie was never going to be a thing. I mean, this movie was never going to be a hundred million dollars. Now maybe I think deservedly it should probably make way more than six and a half, but I, I think it should be one of those films that comes up. I mean, the whole idea of the podcast was to talk about movies that don't get enough love. I, I mean, you talked about it. It shows up on some list, but this is one that I would love for you know somebody to come back and say there should be a sequel to it. We should invest more into this world or you know those characters, especially Moses. Moses is such a great character, 
and I would love to see especially that by the end. Continue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and and, and what's you know, his, bring Pest back? Yeah, please bring Pest where's, back. Where's <laughs> where's him and Sam's relationship like after the events of this movie? Like, are they friends? Are they, you know, they've gone through this whole thing together, um, but he still jumped her. And yeah. So what what is that like? You know, there's a whole gamut of things you could do, and you know, there's always always bigger monsters. You know, we've always learned that it's oh yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising, like there's always bigger monsters. So, um, you know, John Boyega in that. I was trying to connect to that. See what I did there. <laughs> um, so, do you? Obviously, neither of us think this is a bomb, right? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Uh, I, I think everybody needs to. If if you don't own the Blu-ray, go freaking buy it. Hopefully, Joe Cornish gets some money out of that thing so he can make number two. Um, but I, I really hope everybody just goes back and, and rediscovers this thing I just, all over again. I think what would be the issue with Screen Gems throwing him $25 million now, or maybe not, 25 might be a little much, $20 million now, um, and just saying, hey, let's, let's roll the dice. Let's see what we can do. Um, I think that would be an amazing sequel. Um, this is one of those movies that I could see always being rumored and you never see it come to fruition. Like I'm not going to believe this movie is getting a sequel until I'm well, maybe I'll never be start filming. (laughs) I might never be in a theater again. So until I'm watching it at my house, yeah. Believing that this film is getting a sequel. So, um, I wish it does. Um, I think, well, Netflix has like a quadrillion. I know that's what I was thinking. I was like, throw 20 million and make the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we can only watch, tiger king for so long but anyway well and i you know it's funny you say that i can't think of a lot of films where i am just dying to see a sequel. like i'm i'm done with sequels give me give me original stuff right yeah there are very few movies out there that make me yearn for i want to i want to revisit those characters again this is one that i would kind of go yeah i'd I'd really like to i would champion the sequel in this in this i 100 percent agree well does that wrap it up man does I, i feel like Man, that was good. I knew it would be good. I, are we like, are we social justice warriors? Are we, are we no, SJWs? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I don't think so. Okay. I, I think it's fun to kind of explore these films. Um, like you said, going back and revisit some stuff that we love and appreciate from a filmmaking perspective. Um, but you go back and you look at it. And, and like I said, this is one that I remember liking for all the alien effects, for the action sequences, for the humor and stuff like that. Going back and revisiting it and going, oh my god, um, wow, didn't didn't uh, latch on to that, yeah. you know. So uh, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. But um, now I'm glad you picked this one, man. That was, that was a good choice. Yeah, thank you. So on that, because I have no idea, because you've you've said, oh, I might be changing, blah blah blah. So for next week, I'm curious on what we're watching, because you've said some movies and. And I don't know where you've landed, so please. Yeah, I don't know what happened to our forget. So we had this list that went like 30 deep, and we said, "Oh, here's the first 10." <clears throat> but obviously, we talk a lot, even outside of just our um, when we get together once a week and and throw this thing on on some uh, audio software. And and it's amazing when we started this discussion how many films you go back and look at, and you're like, "Oh, that was a bomb." My favorite though is when you texted me about uh, was it Unstoppable? Yeah. Chris Pine, Denzel yeah. Washington. Yeah. So you're like, oh, we got to talk about this one. I'm like, um, it's not a bomb. Yeah. Made a crap load of money. Well, Critics like it. <laughs> a part of me was like, it just doesn't get enough love now. Like, 
It doesn't, yeah. No one talks about that movie, and I would love to talk about Denzel Washington for an hour and a half, so. <laughs> well, but, it, so, we'll probably, at least, I think we decided maybe once a month we might resurrect movie matchup. That way we can maybe bring back some of these films that we go, okay, it's not a bomb. Yeah. Um, it did great, but it we do want to talk about that film, but we'll talk about it against something in the same genre, maybe uh, the remake of it or something of that nature and, and see which one's best. So, but number four means I get to pick and I am going off of our top <laughs> 10 <laughs> only because we start these conversations and I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot about this film. And uh, then when I found out you've never seen it, <laughs> I'm really curious about your opinion. And I got to be honest, this is one of the films that um, I grew up on. Absolutely love it. And I think we decided it's going to be the first episode we bring a guest on. Right? Yeah. So what what is okay. the movie? The movie is Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. That's what I thought you were going with. So you uh, did send me the trailer actually a few weeks ago. And yes. we've already kind That's of... That's when I found out you'd never seen and it. And then we were like, this Asian character might be problematic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, whitewashing is not a new thing. Um, so uh, we are going to have a guest. Um, now, it's, now keep in mind, this came back out in 1985. Yeah, yeah. So, again. Um, and, and, yes, it, uh, it, is a, it is based on a very – I hate the word I, – I don't know if I would use the word famous because if I were talking to you, like if I said, hey, Brad, um, did you read one of the Destroyer novels? No. No? Okay. No. Yes. <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah, it's basically. You got a, a key word in there. Running. You said read, and oh, sadly, yeah, I... reading's hard. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it uh, that series has been going on. I, I got to do my homework, but I know it's like over 150 books. Um, but uh, what's funny is the reason why we're bringing a guest on, uh, and how we got into deciding Remo Williams is uh, we started the show off, Brad congratulated uh, for my daughter this weekend winning a softball tournament. So one of the coaches and a softball dad, see, this is what I love about movies. Um, and I know this is how you and I met, is just we started talking about movies. Um, and as we talk and talk, and we're like, oh, you like this? Oh, I like this, blah, blah, blah. So the dad and I are, are talking about films, and, and we get on the subject, and we go through like 80s action films, and I make the comment, and again, didn't even think about the concept of it's 1985. And I will be honest with you, not till recently <laughs> did I not know that um, the Korean character was played by a white guy. More on that in a week. Um, God, I was so oblivious to that. And so we're talking but about it. But it was 1985. Let's just. 1985. I go. I was like, man, I love Remo Williams. <laughs> And the other softball dad's like, oh, my God, that's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, and John is his name. John is one of the greatest guys you could ever know. Um, and uh, so he loves action films, too. And so as we're talking about that and we're talking going on about Remo Williams, and I told Brad, I'm like, I'd love to bring John on this. So he's like, yeah, let's bring him on for the first guest. And um, not to single anything out about John, but John is Korean. And um, in our talk about Remo Williams and when I discovered it was played by a um, white person, this character, 
John started telling me about how it was received in Korea. And so I think it's actually going to be a very fun discussion. Yeah. You know, it's our social commentary for the week. So yeah, like we couldn't, we couldn't just pick a movie and go, Hey, let's champion this thing. And there's no, you know, <laughs> it's just the time. It's the, it's the, it's the times, man. It's, it's I guess. hard to ignore, but it'd be fun. No, if, yeah. if, if anybody has not seen Remo Williams, um, go and watch it. I'm just telling you, it's gonna be amazing. So, glad you got so I use the, the just watch app. Um, it basically, you enter in a movie, it'll tell you where you can watch it and all that stuff. Uh, Voodoo has it to rent for three ninety nine, which is how I will watch it for our show next week. So if anyone is confused on how to watch it, uh, look on just watch and it'll give you some options. Or you can spend a lot of money and get the Twilight Time Blu-ray, which has an amazing Feast of Special I, I looked on Amazon, man. It was... <laughs> I mean, I've spent I spent stupid money on stupid things, but this was like I don't know yet. I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, after you watch it, you're gonna go buy it. Okay. Is that good? Um, no, that's the next one. So uh, let's get all the official stuff. So if anybody wants to give us their um, list of movies that we should be talking about, because I'm telling you, folks, um, <laughs> we will get through our own list. But it's amazing how our conversations, neither even suggestions that we've heard about, have kind of derailed our list. Yeah, and so you- I've also noticed our first three films had a science fiction tinge to them. So I'm glad we're just kind of doing like a sh- action movie. Unless Remo goes to the moon or something like that. I don't know. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. Action. Totally okay. believe Everything in Remo Williams is totally believable. Okay. Like, you could probably just do it. <laughs> okay. Like, you and I just go out and practice, and we, we practice Shinanju eight years from now. We're doing it. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. But I just, I noticed that we were all like, science fiction. There was like, science fiction and comedy. And it was like, science fiction, comedy, horror, action. So. Well, it's no secret. I mean, to, to be totally transparent here. You and I, our relationship started as a result of um, horror conventions. Yes. So we just, we horror movies, science fiction, that's kind of our wheelhouse. Um, for me personally, then it deviates to, to Hong Kong action films from 80s and 90s. Um, like which I think, like uh, all of them. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm telling you right now, there's a couple that uh, I've, I've got that are, uh, that are like, what, number 35, 36 on the list. Mm. We'll get them in there. But listen, if anybody wanted to send us um, their suggestions of things we should talk about, how do they how do they do that? That is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. And then on Twitter, it is at not a bomb pod. And um, Troy and I are really bad at social media. Oh, it's um, horrible. I'm so trying to get it. better, but I have just a strong distaste for. I, I posted something on Twitter today about an apple pie Kit Kat, yeah. which was amazing. I know. I saw so, that. I saw that. So yeah, it was good, good job. Um, Thank you. I'm trying. I'm really trying. <laughs> so my wife was even like, hey, do you want me to do your social media? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> Did you tell her yes? Yeah. Did you say yes? Yes. Tell I almost, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this empire that we're building, you know, we can start writing checks to people to do stuff for us. So. <laughs> well, okay. <Yeah. laughs> well, that was, uh, that was a great discussion, man. Always love sitting down and talking films with you. Um, I can't wait for next week to get John on. You're going to love him. And, uh, I'm, I'm really like, I am so excited to introduce this film to you, um, just to get your impression of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I have no nostalgia for this film. So my, my view will be, uh, brand new. So, you know, I, I own the novelization. Oh I own God. the original movie poster. <laughs> I own everything. So again, this, I own some destroyer books. I, this is the first I, time, you know, this is our first film out of the, you know, of course it's our fourth film, but you know, 
of something new for someone. So we're going to try to go along those lines sometimes too. Well, no, Children of Men I hadn't seen before. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. This is, so this is the first one that's new for you. you. Me. Okay. Yes. So you got that part. Okay. Right. I'll let you All host right. from now on. Shit, <laughs> 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 man. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's call it a wrap, and um, we will talk to everybody next week. All right. Bye-bye. See you. Thank you.